0: Welcome to On the Path with ECO, a podcast. I'm joined today by ECO's CEO, Josh Pitak, COO, Mark Celio, and Senior Program Manager, EV and HVIP resident expert, Brian Chisholm, to dig into all things pertaining to the world of engine emissions and compliance. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, So, talking. EV is big and only getting bigger. There are new players emerging into the scene. We have major manufacturers teaming up for production. New charging station goals are being announced, and pretty lofty government promises has been stated. For today's podcast, and I know there'll be many more regarding EV, let's jump right into the pressing questions around electric vehicles. Given that electric vehicles do not produce tailpipe emissions, do they still need to be certified by EPA and CAR?
1: Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I'm sure it's a question that goes to the mind of, of any EV developer or company leader, importers of course the answer is yes, otherwise we wouldn't be here talking about it. Uh, basically any new medium or heavy duty electric vehicle needs to be certified by EPA and by CARB. If it, Well, by CARB if sold into, into California, but certainly by EPA in the USA.
0: And, and why do you think that the agencies are concerned with these vehicles, given that they are not burning carbon-based fuels?
1: Well, I'd say there's a few things going on here. Uh, one would be certainly I need to track um, these zero emission vehicles for for credit purposes and for just understanding the market and where the market's going. I'd uh, understand the overall t- technology mix in the in the vehicle market. Uh, there are other issues to be kept track of, such as fuel fi- fuel fired heaters that are sometimes found in EV trucks. Refrigerant uh, from air conditioning systems is a refrigerant is a uh, regulated gas, and there is um, always systemic leakage from these systems that that is regulated and, and uh, so, you know, it's a good way to tabulate uh, those types of emissions. Um, We should also, we're talking about EVs here, but we should also make sure, you know, make sure that this also includes hydrogen fuel cells and hydrogen engines, basically any non-carbon fuels, electricity or hydrogen.
2: And a big part of that is that they're really looking at life cycle analysis of the overall emissions from the electric vehicle. And so for instance, if you have an electric vehicle and you said that the drive range on it is 200 miles, they want to verify that that's actually true so that you're not selling a product that only gets a hundred miles on a full charge because they're looking at the full life cycle energy analysis. And they want to make sure that whatever's going out into the field is actually truthful in the, in the technology that's being presented, one from an emissions standpoint, because mm-hmm. they want to make sure that they're able to track those and create inventories around what they're actually doing and, and have an understanding of how those electric vehicles are really performing from an efficiency standpoint. And that also ties directly into the funding mechanisms that are out there for some of these vehicles. They, they don't want to go fund a, a vehicle that is being called a 200 mile vehicle if the batteries are not efficient enough to really make it do that. And it's really only getting 100 if that makes sense, right? They'd be double funding basically for the amount of emission, emissions reductions that. Uh that would potentially be coming from the vehicle. So, so that's where the, the the need, I think, a part of the need is to, to certify these electric vehicles is it's, at the end of the day, they do pollute. They're, they're not zero emission vehicles. They, they have to get their electricity from somewhere. And so you, if you have a, a battery-based vehicle and it's only half as efficient as the manufacturer has presented it to be, it's it's not really true. And so that's what the validation on the certification standpoint comes from.
0: And just to clarify a little bit, Josh, is that in regards to conversions Or um, straight up built from the ground up electric vehicles. No, that
2: would go either way. That's 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 the basis of the electric vehicle certification program. Is to validate that these batteries take the charges at the way that they're supposed to. That their that their range operation is as long as that the manufacturer is proposing it to be, and the efficiencies of the batteries are are what they're supposed to be. So it's a validation program to make sure that those energy systems are operating the way that the manufacturer is proposing that they are because that's related to emissions.
1: But yeah, two things that that's covered a bit by in in the ZEV credits, but also in heavy duty, you're not actually looking at, at range in in the certification. So then
0: kind of taking into consideration that, that companies that specialize in gas powered vehicles um, and will be converting um, to electric, how does the EPA address certification of vehicles converted to all electric?
1: Yeah, certainly at at this point where the heavy-duty, medium-duty sort of work truck, um, bus, on highway, heavy-duty stuff, a lot of these companies are new up and coming and they're they're starting out by doing, like you say, conversions rather than building a, a truck from the ground up. So they're starting with something that's already certified. And, uh, and the EPA actually doesn't have a specific mechanism for certifying these. They basically rely on what's called their tampering policy, used to be known as memo 1A, and it make, makes it illegal to tamper with the certified vehicle configuration. Uh, so, But the advantage here is that if, if you have, have a CARB uh, executive order, that's generally considered by EPA to be reasonable basis that they're looking for. Uh, to consider this to be uh, exempt from their tampering policy. So there is no certification uh, for converted uh, electric vehicle for the EPA.
0: So Brian, can you walk us through the process for obtaining a CARB executive order for say a heavy duty electric vehicle conversion?
1: Uh, Yeah, certainly. Well, the first step uh, for any new manufacturer for any type of certification program is you get registered as a manufacturer, and uh, and then you get your three-letter manufacturer code. So that's actually done through the e- EPA's uh, EVCIS system. Um, so basically, once you have that uh, that EPA provided a code, you can then start um, introducing yourself to the California ARB with a letter of intent and and some other types of registration letters Um, you have to get uh, yourself registered for their document management system and there's some uh, signature verifications that that have to be uh, completed and and that type of thing so uh, once once you are uh, fully um, set up in the system you're assigned a program manager from CARB so basically um, a manager from the CARB side that's going to the, the person that you work with um, sort of all of your communication and document initial documentation reviews and all that um, so you'll be assigned this this manager so from there you need to prepare your application that's basically complying a lot of information about the vehicle and the technology uh, listing the components that are being removed from the converted vehicle uh, providing specifications and technical details on the battery the drivetrain basically any new electric driven components um, that are being installed on the vehicle, right down to like if like an electric uh, drive for your um, power steering pump, for example, that might have been an engine driven before uh, your air conditioning system. Um, regenerative braking, all, all these types of systems. Um, Car- Carb wants to understand sort of how they all work, how they all come together, what they all look like. Uh, I mentioned the air conditioning system, you need to provide a s- detailed schematic and a thorough analysis of the, of the system, uh, along with an evaluation of the leakage rate. It's an SAE-based um, analysis. Um, there's also some forms that ARB needs uh, filled out as uh, part of the application um, to basically understand your certification strategy, uh, your technology, and, and all of this. And you're submitting all of this information through the DMS along with other information such as your sample, label layout, warranty statements, operating manuals, maintenance instructions, statements of compliance. And um, that's basically all that, that makes up a, a complete application. Uh, then there's a two, three month window where AirB is reviewing the file, coming back with questions, uh, perhaps asking for more information, more clarification on in different areas before finally getting your, uh, a sign off on your executive order.
0: So is there something that uh, manufacturers can do on their own? What, what does ECO bring to the table to justify a need for the services that need to be done here?
1: Yeah, well, we've, we've certainly talked to manufacturers and uh, have taken on board as clients manufacturers that have sort of set, up, set, up, set off trying to do this on their own. Uh, and then you know, running into uh, frustrating roadblocks you know, right, from, right from the get-go, right from step one. Yeah, we'd highly recommend getting a consultant on board for sure to help with navigating through this process. I mean, there is clear advantages of having a certification professional who can focus on, on this aspect of your program, who has relationships with, uh, with the agencies, knows how to build and submit a complete application. Um, yeah, for sure. In the end, I've, I've no doubt you'll save time, you'll save money by working with a professional. And keep in mind, you don't just certify the vehicle or the drivetrain and then walk away. There's an ongoing maintenance of your of your system that's required. There's annual carryover, different types of um, reporting, such as uh, sales volume, defects, other re- regulatory considerations. Uh, A consultant can also be used to guide you through various funding programs that are available such as the hbip program and INSERTA in New York Um, and also we're I mean we see a lot of uh, a lot of clients will start with a product work with us get an application in and then they want to start talking about um, other products um, you know next considerations and, and we're there as a sort of resource to talk through any upcoming regulatory changes or perhaps uh, issues to deal with even at, back at the design stage. So yeah, I would certainly recommend uh, working with a consultant for this process.
2: I think a large value of consulting role and the expertise that we have, and there's two primary. One is we have relationships with the agency staff. We, we know who to call, they answer our phone calls. They, they have mad respect for the work product that we develop because they've seen thousands of examples of that over the years. Uh, and also the development of, of test groups basically through our analysis and our experience, Brian is often able to allow much broader expansion of sales opportunities through a minimal amount of testing. So as opposed to having to test potentially four different vehicles independently, uh, he can often come up with a strategy where you might only have to test one or two specific vehicles and extrapolate those emissions results or those test results over to a broader product segment. And so there's a, there's a big benefit in that. You, know, you reduce, reduce testing.
0: Let's imagine a scenario from a manufacturer's point of view. People are scrambling to answer the call for EV and starting to get their resources in order. Why does it benefit a manufacturer to look externally for assistance to a company like ECO rather than define or redefine a role in-house?
2: I mean, these guys are out there, they're trying to build cars, they're trying to sell cars, they're trying to source parts, they're trying to figure out safety stuff, you know, do do they have a dedicated resource available to just focus on this particular aspect? And this is an important aspect because until they get this job done, they don't get to sell their shit. And so if you're a company and you're looking at pinch point as far as production goes, and especially now with electric vehicles, because everybody's running into the table, right? I mean, it's just, it's a mad rush to try to get out in front of this thing. Like our clients that are coming to us are just like, we just need to sign the contract and get going because we're already buying April. And so if, if you're looking at pinch point as far as your production capability, this is it. I mean, obviously you got to produce a vehicle, but you could have the best vehicle in the world. But if it's not certified, you can't sell it. And so as you're doing that, You want to hire the best resource out there in the world to to get your job done for you. The people that know the agency staff, the people that know the rules, the people have already been down the path before,
0: right? Yeah. And even if it is certified, and I think that's where Brian uh, jumped in on some really good points about the ongoing requirements and maintenance and carryover, defect reporting, production volumes, and it just goes on and on. So just because you have your certificate doesn't mean it's over.
2: Right. So that's, that's part of it too, is that, you know, the credibility and the and the fortitude of, of our process to make sure that we're not just going to get you certified. We're going to get you certified a hundred percent compliant and you're going to be able to sleep at night and focus on selling your product and building your product and not whether you're going to have an agency come in the back door.
0: Um, I've got a curiosity question that you guys might be able to answer. Uh, so looking through the news articles that have come out about everything that's, that's, Floating around about EV, they keep rolling back to the year two thousand and five. And just out of curiosity, why are they so tenaciously set two thousand five as the beginning point for data sets?
1: Well, that's that's when uh, I believe the implementation date for the Kyoto Protocol was starting in two thousand and five. So everything back back then from those discussions was was based on two thousand and five. And now, like you say, they keep uh, from the Paris Accord keep reverting now back to that same basis that same uh, starting point
2: that would have been the baseline emission level in 2005 and that's what
1: they're looking to reduce from correct yes they're just using that continuing to use that reference point
2: that's okay. where that's where they're like okay here's where we are and what's when you hear 50% reduction it's 50% reduction from 2005
1: yeah, that's when they were, yeah.
2: that's when they finally were like okay we might have a problem here regardless of what all you know the mm-hmm naysayers might say about it.
0: So if you had to guess, what what does it mean for the future of vehicle manufacturing when we see recent headlines such as Ford and Honda creating a partnership to produce a line of EV vehicles?
2: I think it probably relates to uh, just technology sharing. It's expensive to develop new technologies. And, and through the efforts of collaboration, they're able to reduce their development costs significantly if they share platforms. You've seen that across the board with, with IC engine based Companies they'll develop a, a powertrain or a chassis-based powertrain, and it might go into a Mazda and a Toyota, just because they don't want to go through the whole process of developing the entire platform. And so I think that's the the benefit and, and the reason for that is technology sharing.
0: Yeah, the, so that that would kind of suggest almost that that partnerships are, are big partnerships are, are going to be a, a could potentially be a big part of this EV push, right?
2: Absolutely. We're already seeing that uh, pretty much across the board, especially in the heavy duty space. There's a a lot of traditional competitors that are actually entering into collaborative relationships to, to do technology development.
0: And with that, let's wrap up today's EV exploration, just knowing that there will be much more to talk about going forward. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I want to thank Eco and all of you guys for taking the time to kind of enlighten us on the processes, take a little bit of the fear out of what might be happening from all of these very lofty goals that might be thrown around. And just know that, that you guys are out there to help the manufacturers and the consumers find a way to, to navigate these, these almost uncharted waters uh, that you guys have been doing this for a very long time and then we're in the right place. So thank you guys for joining us today. Thank you for your knowledge and thank you for listening. And we want to welcome you back next time to On The Path with the Eco.